Hi, and welcome back to the Utojua Hujui podcast. Now, a quick word before we get in. Your girl, Aileen, has a little bit of a potty mouth, which means she does not mind her language and she speaks the fluent French, <laughs> um, which is all to say that I understand that some people are a little bit uncomfortable with this language. So here's just a warning for you. If, however, you are not uncomfortable and you would like to learn about the world around you and capitalism and colonialism and just like... All this fun shit with a dazzling, brilliant, and funny host, if I do say so myself. Um, keep listening. We have always stated that um, our independence cannot be complete if, in fact, there is any part of the world where the black man is not accorded his rightful position in society. Hi, ho, hello, and... Welcome back to the Uta Ujui. Uh, I got it wrong. Uta Ujui, Ujui podcast <laughs> brought to you by Fun Times and Sad Times. Was there a sad time? I mean, I wasn't really prepared for you to throw me the mic like that. So uh, we have to work on our chemistry. Okay, really it's not chemistry, chemistry. It's just improv. I'm not really good at improv. That gets better with chemistry. Oh, uh, okay, fine. Introduce yourself for the people that don't know who you are. Oh, hello and hi, and my name is Karidi Gary. Um, Utajua Hujui's favorite guest, uh, the person that people on TikTok like to hate on, and uh, by the way, just for my own sake, for my own rant, guys, stop hating on me about my Daima Mimim Kenya decision. It's a, that song, yes, the people of Independent fought for a beautiful song, which is a prayer. Yes, I understand. However, I just said Daima Mimim Kenya gets me more in the fields. Have you ever listened to that song? while watching like Eliud Kipchoge break his breaking two hour. Just put off the volume and just put that song on. You'll cry. You, I swear to you, you'll cry. But anyways, uh, my name is Karedi Gare. Proud to be here. <laughs> Happy and energetic. I mean, I did, I did want to ask if you had something you wanted to get off your chest. I'm glad you were able to get this thing off just your chest. Just attacking your, your fans, uh. letting them know that you're good fans. But man, get off my back. Okay, um, I guess my question, or rather what I wanted to get off my chest mm-hmm. was this fact that I heard mm-hmm. that I think you will either find disgusting or interesting, but definitely both. Are you ready? So I will find, int- I would find both. Because I'll either find this or that, but both. Yes. Ready? You are an English teacher. Sure. <laughs> sure. I'm ready. I'm okay. Ready. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to a podcast, and the guy on the podcast said um, that Napoleon, Emperor Napoleon's wife, Josephine, used to hate him until the first time they had sex. So he was a good lay? I think so. He, apparently, he, 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 he dicked down good. I don't know if that is good for women. I just... <laughs> Honestly, okay. it's proving a bit of a point. No, no. Okay, listen, listen. That bro, you can hate no, me. No, no, but, no. Whoa, whoa, but, whoa, no, but if, no, no, no. But if that's the case, then he must have been a god because, like... No. I don't want to divulge, like, too much about, like, my past or anything. Mm-hmm. But we've all been in a situation where, like, you have sex with somebody you don't like. Like, their mm. personality is trash, but fuck it. You just, you just want to fuck it. Sure. Um... But that doesn't change their opinion. It doesn't change your opinion of them. They're still trash. <laughs> Clearly, they didn't do a good job. Oh, my God. As according to Napoleon, if they did a good job, maybe you'd be <laughs> married right now, Aileen. I mean, okay. Wow. To somebody with a trash personality. I don't think so. 
Miss Napoleon did it? Uh, yeah, but she also cheated on him constantly. Oh my god, Napoleon was cheated on. Constantly. Like the king of of He was pussy whipped. General. Oh my goodness. He was pussy whipped is the best way to put it. I don't even know what that means, but I'll I'll go with that. I'm a holy person. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Me, I don't know what you guys talk about. Mm-hmm. See, did Jesus not find himself among the sinners? Are you saying still was above the sinners? Yeah, but he's still what's it called? Engaged. Yeah, I interact with you people. I listen to you people. people. We have oh, what is it? As my past, as as we were all taught in church, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. A hundred percent. However, the degrees of sin just wow. a little different. Like you know, a, to God, it's all the same. Yeah, you guys just sin too much. You know, to God, it's all I'm the same. I'm always trying to change. But speaking of that, yes, I, I I wanted to recommend to you a show. Yes. And I wanted to recommend to the people a show. Yes. It's actually on my TV right now. <laughs> it's called The Gold Mafia. Mm-hmm. Now, many Kenyans have already watched it. It's got like more than one million views. But Six it just... Six days, damn. There the, are three episodes that mm-hmm. are out. The, the next episode will be out by the time this podcast is out. And it just goes into money washing. And the part of it that made me a bit like sad or pissed a little bit because mm-hmm. I, I do abide by faith was that <laughs> it talks about two characters one every kenyan knows mm-hmm. we call him brother paul uh-huh. Patni. <laughs> uh, he changed when he after goldenberg scandal it shows the pictures of when he when he went into the courts pretending he was sick and all those things so kamlesh Patni, he changed and he became brother paul but then there's this other character in in in, in zimbabwe who is like the top diplomat okay and his name kid you not he calls himself prophet angel prophet angel prophet angel Uh, his real name is angel so it's not bad but prophet angel yeah so mr prophet angel and his english son-in-law or something like that like they have a church he's white so prophet angel is black uh his son-in-law or his second in command is very white and they have a church service well, you know the thing of people fainting and all that, uh, and they do all those things. It's just getting worse. So, <laughs> so all that. So you see, okay, Prophet Angel, he, okay, he's a man of God, great. He's a man of real virtue, Amazing. great. And then you watch him being torn down for basically offering to help the Zimbabwe um, some investigators who yeah. turned themselves as as Chinese investors in dirty money. Yeah. He literally offered them that they can just put one billion in his plane and he can take them, he can take it and he will not be checked. Like, he also showed how dirty he is. He was flexing. So, so you're like, wow. So that, that gold mafia, interesting podcast about how gold is used in the money laundering world. Okay, I guess I will put a link in the description of this episode yes, for anyone to check it just out. Just watch all three episodes or all four episodes. And if you remember Kamlesh Padni, if you remember Brother Paul, <laughs> you know, I actually, I remember in 2007, he had a political party. No It way. was called Kenda. Seriously? Yeah, it was called this Kenda. This man, after orchestrating one of the biggest, like, thefts in the country, mm-hmm. then had the audacity. But he wasn't the stealer, he was the facilitator. He's still guilty. Sort of, kind of. In, in criminal can... law, he's still guilty. All he did is facilitate. He tells you, this is how you can make money from gold. Give me the sole right. Give me the sole right oh to, to, to export gold from Kenya. 
and because Moi didn't have money coming in from structural uh, because of structural adjustment like sure i need dollars Padni gives him dollars he gets the gold perfect okay so my question to you is this yes and i want you to be honest mm-hmm. cuz the cuz everything you're talking about here with the gold mafia mm-hmm. and goldenberg or goldberg it was goldenberg goldenberg yeah. goldberg is a wrestler really mm. okay so with a gold mafia and goldenberg it's very clear like corruption is rampant oh yes naturally we all think corrupt corruption is is a bad thing that we mm. want to get rid of mm-hmm. um but are you mad because it's stealing wealth of everyone mm-hmm. or are you mad because you didn't get to eat first first question you have to ask is am i mad are, are you mad not really but what? if i was mad it would be more mad of the stealing for everyone thing okay why aren't you mad because i i told you i'm a realist unfortunately this is the way of the world i believe and as as i'm being told now you know being put down a peg by by commenters and all those people i believe that the Wait, world I'm, I'm is a big cabal uh-huh the world is a big cabal of mm-hmm. of gangsters mm-hmm. and so what you have is you have front door back door politics Mm-hmm. So this guy, this guy, they met him I think one the way in a convention somewhere in the west. Okay. Basically, you have the front door politician mm-hmm. who would be President Uhuru, President Ruto, who them they can never be seen to be taking bribes, yes. doing all these things, yes. but they always have a gangster who's somewhere in the command who can make decisions to the benefit of that person without spoiling the name of that person. So you have for Ruto it's Gashags allegedly. Ah, it can't Maybe. be Gashags. It's never gonna be Gashags. Gashags is kept at a arms like it's probably like Farouk Kibet. Okay, and then or someone for... else or someone a bit smarter, someone who looks clever, looks very sharp, but goes to have those diplomatic meetings and have the dark ones that the president can't be seen to hold. Yeah, it's not Gashago, he's too loud. No, it's definitely not Gashago. Then for Uhuru it was who? I, I don't like know. It would have been Ruto, but I think it would be someone like Uhuru trusted like he selected a Matish. keen ambassador Matish is too nice too nice Matish isn't that I mean I feel like a lot of people who got tear gassed would beg to differ that Matish is too like nice. he was rough but I think Matish always appeared to everyone like he has a moral compass mm-hmm. um and so even when he's doing his bad things it looks like he's doing it with morality if you get what I mean like he's tear gassing you but he's tear gassing you cuz you're a nuisance. He's not tear gassing you cuz cuz like he really wants to tear gas you. Like okay. you know there are those people, those politicians who do things. Like Magufuli used to as well. Yeah. But they believe they're doing the right thing. Don't all of them believe they're doing No, the right some are just thing? gangsters and they know exactly what they are. They're gangsters. They're there to make money. Okay. Okay. But this is all theory. But I believe even the US has these people. Oh no, the US definitely has these people. Yes. Yeah, like we like, all watch um, Scandal, The West Wing, House of Cards. Um a book they should everyone should read is The New Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Ooh, by I think he's John Perkins. Talked about what the CIA, the Americans, like all these NGOs mm-hmm. did in Talks Southeast Asia. Talks about like yeah, not Southeast Asia was bad. Yeah. South America and North America <laughs> like Panama that area. Yeah. Worse. They fucked it. Because they wanted to and they needed it. 
And you hear about companies like the American Fruit Company. I didn't know how big of a deal that company is. You don't. You didn't know like the, the, the what's it called? The American Fruit Company complained when um what's it called? The president of Guatemala in like the fifties mm-hmm. wanted to take the land that they themselves had said is unproductive mm-hmm. and give it to the peasant class. Mm-hmm. And these American companies were like socialism, communism. It's it's a threat to the country. We need to protect our interests. And then they ask Uncle Sam to come in and invade Guatemala. And this is the problem with capitalism. It this is again, why I'm attacking it? everyone with, like everyone who's against the whole idea of exploring other ideas. Think about how bad the the world has been made because of the capitalist system. Mm-hmm. Think about these gangsters that we see all the time, where now nobody trusts anybody. Yes. Like I, I and, and I've seen it in you especially. You're more of a Gen Z than I am. I know. I have such peak Gen Z energy, and I am not a Gen Z. She does not trust. <laughs> Any, any you celebrity or leader. You haven't given me a reason to trust you at all. Uh-uh. She has uh-uh. no belief in heroes. The only no. hero she has is Queen Bee. Oh no! It, okay, even, and she's accepted her for her flaws. Yeah, even no, it's actually now it's Rihanna. Rihanna's a goddess to me. Or or praise Fenty. Or praise her. Oh my um, goodness! Rihanna is amazing, mm-hmm. and it's Rihanna the brand, not the person. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, but like you're right. Everything is a bit of a shit show, and yeah. we don't trust nobody. Okay. Let me say, the last time I trusted someone, mm-hmm. turned out he was a, like, obviously I'm talking about Bill Cosby. Oh, man. <laughs> and even R. Kelly, like, like these institutions mm-hmm. that you grew up with that characterized your childhood. Like, I grew up dancing to R. Kelly. He was my first R&B non-Christian musician that I listened to, him and Beyonce. He was also the first musician I listened to, but and I was then... not listening to the R&B hip-hop part. <laughs> I was listening to I Believe I Can Fly. <laughs> Um, the world's greatest you saved me and then on the other hand you have like Bill Cosby with the Cosby show and all the children's programming that he was doing which I grew up on and then to turn around and find out (laughs) that both of these men are sexual predators they did terrible things but now imagine now in the international system we all thought people thought like before before Kenyans got a clue Mm -hmm. many people thought like what the US and the UK did in the Middle East was justified at first, mm-hmm. or they were actually standing on moral ground. Yes, well, so it's, it's the moral ground. Like, they were too pissed off. Yeah. It felt righteous. And what were they actually doing? It was all money. It's all about money. It's all about the money, 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 It's money, all money. about the money. Well, and revenge. Baby Bush wanted revenge, mm-hmm. or wanted to go back. For his daddy. Yeah. For daddy Bush. For daddy Bush. And mm-hmm. then they had the Cheney guy at the back who was just really, really oh, ready for some Sorry. Money. Speaking of Cheney and like evil people in general, I don't, I don't say he's evil, but anyways. Oh my god, Cheney. No one is evil. <sighs> We're gonna discuss this at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know that Henry Kissinger mm-hmm. is still alive? Yeah. I'm shocked. I am shocked. He should. He should be dead by now. But think of his personality. It makes sense that he's alive. How does it make sense? He's alive. He's outlived the Queen. For pe- a person who was made to do the things he did. I think it requires a type of personality that just doesn't you just get stressed. to die. It just doesn't get stressed. So his body just, like he always, he just dealt with things. Well, um, if, if he makes it, because we're recording this in April. His birthday is, I think, sometime in May. He's turning what, 100? 100. Knock on wood, he'll make it. Because the last time we prematurely yeah. celebrated somebody's 100th birthday was Betty White or Smith. It was Betty White. Betty yes. White. And, and then she, she was t- amazing. Then she died like, was it three days or three, the day before or a week oh. before? It was horrific. It was Even so though she was just some random white person. But she was, it, it just, she just seemed like fun. People mourned her more than the Queen, which I understand. I mean, Queen Elizabeth never made me laugh. 
What What do you remember Betty White from? Cotton Cleveland. I feel like I've heard her voice in a number of things and other other movies, but definitely Golden Girls. Come on, Golden Girls. That's what shocked me because like Golden Girls was a show in the eighties about old women living together, living together, old women. Yeah, and it worked. Now, forty years later (laughs) is when this lady is dying. So already people thought she was in her sixties and seventies in the nineteen eighties. She well, just she's, in, no. she's just fine. Mm-hmm. Another person who I think that is one I will cry. Mm-hmm. I will cry when she dies. Ooh. Maggie Smith. Oh my god, yes. Now, for those of you who know her, she's known as Professor, Professor McGonagall. And to the rest of us who be, who also watched the dame in Downton Abbey. Uh, no, that's not where she's popular. For me, my favorite movie of all time is Sister Act Two. She was one of the nuns. She was the nun. She was the number one nun. <laughs> How did they get her onto that movie? Why? What's wrong with the movie? No, nothing's wrong with the movie. Just, it's a weird vessel for Dame Maggie Smith. Hey, holy yeah, it's just interesting. It's like... Hmm. It's an excellent movie. Interesting choice. And that's what shocked me. I was like, how old was she then? Because Sister Act was done in 91 and 93. Yes. She looked 80. And then in the first Harry Potter, she just kind of... Aged down a little bit. But she's always looked old. There's something that the British people... I don't know what they be eating. The British and the Italians, they just live a very long time. True. And the, and the Japanese. True. The rest of us Africans, we, 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 we wait the water. A few of us make it to 100, the rest of us, just, nah. 70, 80, you're good there, boof. Okay, and on that depressing note, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what am I drinking today? Nothing. Well, it's I'm drinking green tea and mint. That's what that's what I drink. I even brought it from home. Why do you call it green tea and mint? Because that's what it's called. It's just green tea and mint. Pink. It's like a purple culture gold paper. It's purple and blue. And it's just called green Green tea. No, it's called mint. It's not called green tea. It's green tea and mint. It's like peppermint or something. Yeah. So it's part of like they have like an entire green tea. So this is different from usual. No, this is this is my green tea and mint. This is purple box. Yeah, the purple box. The purple box. What are you gonna do if you ever left the country? I've actually been thinking about this a lot. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm right. going to have one suitcase that is just Kenyan food. Like Royco, Ugali flour, Chapati flour. You can get Ugali flour and Chapati flour. I'm sorry, why would I pay more for it over there when I'm coming Madame, from Madam, have you ever watched those home? like airport stories of like African and Indian women like going <laughs> in and then the suitcase is open and it's like nyanyas. <laughs> actually, Please. No, okay. so, so the thing that I know I'm going to miss the most if I ever leave mm-hmm. Are Kenyan sausages, and I'm not talking about like dick. I'm actually talking about farmer's choice. I'm no one, ever, no one, not even one person. I feel like there was somebody out there that was that the thought crossed their mind. I thought any Kenyan sausages. Everyone knew you were talking about farmer's farmer's choice. I sausages. will miss farmer's choice so much. I, oh yeah. Just eat them all when you're done here, and then it gives you an excuse to do what to come. To want to visit your country. I see my family, my friends are here. Some, My for some is people, here. for some people, that's not enough. <laughs> oh God, it's true. I'm so sorry. For some people, it's not enough. You're like, oh, my family. Uh, sorry. Uh, if anything, I'll come back for Kilifi. I'll always come back for Kilifi. I thought you were gonna say you'd come back for Karibi. Nah. Ouch. Anyways, get to what we're talking <laughs> about today. Okay, so today is the Tom Boyer episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the time of us talking and us recording, I've titled this episode "The Original Obama." But like it doesn't make sense, so we'll see what comes up as we talk. Well, it's 
it's kind of apt because he helped the original Obama. He did help the like the OG, Obama senior. Yeah, Obama, and also in a sense of like you have this young charismatic politician who everyone believes is going to be the change we need in this world. And everyone is backing. I was I was gonna use this fact much later on, but okay. let me use it now since I have like five facts, so I'm just gonna <laughs> sprinkle them like like salt. Just uh-huh. a little here, a little there, and we're good. Now, Lord Eveling Berry. Sure. I think that was his name. You mean Evelyn? E V E Okay, Evelyn. Wait, how do you spell it? E V E something. Okay, sure, sure. Bearing. Let's just call him Lord Bearing. Okay. I, I remember asking if he was like the reason Baringo was called like Baringo, but no, it's not. But Lord Baring, oh, okay. he was one of the last um, colonial secretaries of, of Kenya. Mm-hmm. And when he was dealing with Tom Boyer, not he called him. What? The Kenyan Kwame Nkrumah. Boom. So you call him the Kenyan Obama. Obama. They call him the Kenyan Nkrumah. I think, well, this is something we'll definitely get into. So spoilers, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but that goes to show you just how well revered this man was across the continent Mm -hmm. and also around the entire world Mm. because you have when he was assassinated you had american civil rights leaders mourn Mm. his passing Mm -hmm. it was discussed on the floor of the u.s congress Mm. Um, we'll we'll get into why it was discussed because it's not for the reason that you think but he mattered in the in the scale of like global politics his death mattered and he's really motivated politicians to this date yeah like i see certain politicians and i'm like i think they kind of molded themselves around who tom boyer this is gonna sound very odd it is going to sound incredibly odd but i think johnson sakaja johnson sakaja think of one of the reasons tom boyer was so impressive is in a generation of already young leaders mm-hmm. he was young mm-hmm. and he was younger mm-hmm. when he won his first election i think he was 27 he was in his late 20s yeah 27 um by the time uh, Sakaja was an MP, he was in his late 20s as well. By the time uh, he got into something else, he was in his 30s. Sakaja was 32. Oh, oh yeah, he won his first election at 27, mm-hmm. Sakaja at 32. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at the way he talks, very politically, it sounds central. It yeah. sounds like he's always fighting for things. That yeah. was Tom Boyer. But also very well aligned. And he knew where power was. Yes. And you look at someone like Sakaja. Why I, I, I get impressed by him is he aligns with power. He knows. He knew that the, the wall was written on um, Uhuru's reign long before many other people. Yeah. Um, also seen as geniuses in their time. Like um, Tom Boyer had led very many, um, what are they called, trade unions. Mm-hmm. Um, Sakaja was thought of as a key player in the calculations of the 2013 election. Like, these are big guys. So you're seeing similarities between Sakaja and Boya? A little bit. Okay, well... I'm seeing him wanting to be like Boya. Okay, so like, let's let's get this started. Um, mm-hmm. Word to the wise, I have not edited the script. Like, I finished writing it on Monday, and I was like, fuck it, we're done, fuck it, we are going to do this live. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live! Fuck it! Oh, God. <laughs> Spelling errors. Spelling errors, grammatical errors, long-ass sentences. We are going to... It'll be the blind leading the slightly less blind on this one. Who is the slightly less blind in this me. situation? Me. I, I am both the blind and the slightly less blind. Ah, okay, fine. Things are going to surprise me in the script, because, yo, okay. Mm-hmm. Now! <coughs> meow. Mm-hmm. There's no cat here. Well, t- I said... You said meow. I said meow. Mm-hmm. Um, 
No, no, we, we can't get we can't get distracted. It's been twenty two <laughs> minutes and we sorry, haven't started sorry, the episode. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, so in this, in, well, today um, it might be a two part. It might not be a two part. We'll see. We're gonna talk about Tomboy's assassination. Both what what we know, what we don't know, and mm. why we don't know what we don't know. Because mm. mm. that's really important. Um, we're gonna Just repeat co- that. What we know. What we know. What, what we, we don't, don't know, know, and why we don't know what we don't know. Why we don't know what we don't know. Yes. Okay, fine. Yeah. Got it. Got you. Right? Um, so in this entire series, we're going to cover his early life, his entry into national politics um, as a labor organizer, and then the creation of the Kennedy Airlift Program, because that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one that led to President Barack Obama Jr. fine specimen with an even finer wife. Um, <laughs> and in the next... Something tells me you have a crush on Obama. Obama, yes, but also Michelle. Her arms make me feel so safe. Mm-hmm. She looks like she swims. Swim arms. She looks like the kind of person who you would believe when they say everything's going to be okay. Okay, me, uh, I didn't see that. I sort of saw Melly from Scandal. No! <laughs> in terms of strength, yes, but Melly's story is tragic. Not in terms of also political ambition. Something about Michelle makes me think she still has... She's putting aside political ambition and she's thinking about it. She's thinking about it. She'll never admit it, but something just tells me she's thinking about it. Okay. Maybe not president, but like mayor. Okay. So Thomas Joseph Odiambo Mboya, Mm -hmm. or TJ Mboya, Mboya. was born on August 15th, 1930 Mm -hmm. on a sisal estate in Thika to Leonardus Njege and Marcella Awar. He was one of seven siblings, five boys, two mm-hmm. girls, mm-hmm. and both his parents were from Western Kenya. Mm-hmm. They moved to Thika or the White Highlands um, in search of employment. Um, and they found work on the colonial farm of a guy called Sir William Northrop Macmillan mm-hmm. as low-income sisal cut, cutters. cutters yes. There we go. Some time after his birth, Moya's father, Leonard, was promoted to be like, the overseer of the plantation. Mm-hmm. And according to Mboya in his book, Freedom and After, his father was earning about one pound fifty per month, or mm-hmm. roughly twenty thousand uh, shillings in today's money. Mm-hmm. Um, from per his month. yeah, no bad with seven kids though. Okay, terrible. <laughs> with seven terrible. kids, terrible. Um, but still, he managed to save three pounds, roughly forty thousand shillings in today's money, to cover Boya's yearly school fees. Three pounds was forty thousand Kenyan shillings in yeah. today's money. Yeah, because it's basically two months' salary. He managed to save that. From boy school fees. 40,000 shillings. Yes. It's three... Okay, so... <laughs> You're counting for inflation. That's super inflation. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, man. You, like, never ever look at what a currency was worth. It's depressing. You realize money doesn't mean shit. But we're not going to get into that because I know you have thoughts. <laughs> so, in 1939, Mboya was sent to school in Cumberland. Now, before we continue, it is important to note that already... Let's say nine years, at nine years old, Mboya has already been exposed to three different cultures. Mm-hmm. The Kikuyu culture, the Luo culture, and mm-hmm. now he's about to be exposed to the Kamba culture. Mm. He's the quintessential third culture kid. Another thing that makes him, connects him a little to Sakaja a little bit. Really? Sakaja's a third culture kid? Sakaja's never claimed to any tribe. Everyone knows his tribe, but he's never claimed Interesting. Like to be by his tribe. So do you know what a third culture kid is? Because some people might not know what it is, and I don't want to assume... So I'm going to guess based mm-hmm. on critical thinking. Sure. So you said a third culture child. Mm-hmm. They've been exposed to three cultures. 
or they've made their own culture. Okay, okay. Just explain. Okay, so okay. So mm-hmm. the term was coined by US sociologist Ruth Hill on Useem in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And it means like children who spend a, lo- a lot of their formative years in places that aren't their parents' homeland. Uh. For example, I'm a third culture kid because I spent most of my childhood not in Kenya. Mm. Um, and also not in you know, Gamma Land. <laughs> I was on the coast. You went to you went to put your feet up and wear slippers. Of course, of course. But one of the wonderful things about third culture kid and I kids and I'm not gassing myself up here. Like I've seen sure, it across sure. third culture sure, kids. Sure. It's the truth. Um, they have a broader worldview, and they're much more culturally aware. Because mm-hmm. like you're constantly, for want of a better word, dealing with a lot of cultural difference and having to mediate between those differences mm-hmm. as you figure out who you are. Okay. Um, so um, there's a guy called Van Recken, sorry, a lady called Ruth E. Van Recken, who explains why cultural third culture kids just are able, like their brains think this way. And they say like, the classic profile of a third culture kid is somebody who with a global perspective, who is socially adaptable and intellectually flexible. Mm. They are quick to think outside the box and can appreciate and reconcile different points of view. Mm. Beyond whatever diversity in background or appearance a third culture kid may bring to the party, there is a diversity of thought as well. Mm. And this is exactly what Boya was able to do in his later political career. Um, he was definitely a person of like a national mindset because I think he spoke Kiswahili, English, Luo, a bit of Kikuyu and a bit of Kamba. I think he was fluent in Kikuyu and Kikuyu, Kamba. Yeah, Kikuyu. Like, point is, the man was a polyglot. Polyglot? Yeah. Polyglot. He could speak yeah. many languages, is many what I'm languages trying to say. At a very high level. Very eloquent. You should listen very. to some of his speeches. Oh, I have. They're beautiful. Oh, my word. Just realize, Ooh. this is the one thing that I'm like, man! If you listen to the, to the speeches... And it's a bit bad because it was because they were being trained by the Mzungus. Yes. But they all sound the, the same. speeches of those first leaders, very eloquent, very it is impermanent that we as the Kenyan people speak. Can I ask you a question? Uh-huh. Did your grandfather used to speak like that at home? Like very What they had, all of them, was like a mix of English and Kikuyu. Yeah. So he sounded, if I'm remembering, he died eleven years ago, so it's very hard to remember. But as I'm remembering, he sounded like Kibaki. Like his accent was like mm. Kibaki. So to the new person with a very high British accent, you're like, that's not really a British accent. Like on but it was very all of them sounded no, Jonjo was a bit beyond them in terms of he really wanted to be a British man. But when you listen to people like John Mishuki, uh-huh. um Mwai Kibaki, um, and there's a few Kenneth Matiba, that group all had similar accents. They had a mix of Kikuyu and then very high eloquence. Mm-hmm. So they shrub a few things, but very eloquent. So that was my fa- that was my grandfather. Same thing. Okay, so the so same as Boya, but Boya had a bit of the Luo accent. A little sprinkled in. Well, my grandfather had a bit of the Kikuyu accent. Okay, mm-hmm. so all of this began when he went to school in Cumberland in nineteen thirty nine. Mm-hmm. This is where his intellectual journey began. Mm-hmm. While he was there, he lived with his religion teacher's family, a member of the Akamba ethnic group. And while later in life, while he's recalling the experience, he says that the teacher, and I quote, lived very simply and very tribally with his mm-hmm. wife and children in a mud and wattle hut mm-hmm. with no sanitary facilities and no piped water. 
Boya adds, he took me sometimes to his other home in the reserve, and I still remember how dry it was, just scrub and thorn trees, and how the children were obviously lacking in vitamins and suffering from yaws and eyesores, mm. end quote. Okay. Um, the conditions at his school weren't any better. First, all he learned at that first school was how to recite prayers and the cat, the, the, the catch, C-A-T-E-C-H-I-S-M. C-H- C-A-T-E-C-H-I-S-M, catchism. Catchism? I think it's catchism. Just, just say it for me. C-A-T-C-H-I-S-M. You see, catchism. like, I should have practiced this script before coming here. Catchism. Catchism? Catchism? catchism. It's, okay. Yeah, catechism. Catechism. So it's like kaite. Catechism. Catechism. So, uh, and the catechism. Catechism. There, there we, we go. go. <laughs> <laughs> we got there. We got there. It took so long. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, when I was saying catechism, I was actually reading the 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 the, the dictionary the, the, thing. So he was well at the first school. He learned prayers and a catechism. The catechism are like the summary Correct. statements of faith, things mm-hmm. like the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. And then, so the second thing was that this school was incredibly ill-equipped. Like, they did their lessons under a tree, they had no books, and or slates where they were learning how to write. They would literally, like, use their finger and draw on the sand. Like, mm-hmm. that's how they learned. Wow. Um, and in 1942, Moya moved from the school and he went to St. Mary's School, which is a boarding school located in central Nyanza. Yeah. To help cover his school, is, is it still in a thing? What? St. Mary's School. Is it there still are many St. Mary's schools. Okay, fine, fair enough. So, it's just named just after like, yeah. saints. It's Catholic schools, so Catholic schools will name them after saints. Yeah. So, it's not the famous St. Mary's School of Nairobi where Uhuru Kenyatta attended. Mm-hmm. IB kid. Anyanza, Anyanza. I don't think he did IB. I, I feel like he did IB. IB didn't exist. Though. IB has been around for a minute, since like the Everyone 60s. Everyone did O-level. That's what they all did. O-level. Boring. So the Nyanza one, while still quite known, I think it's known because of Boya. Yeah. But it's not related to, to the famous Saint Mary's. So, Saint Mary's School, Nyanza. He was a boarding student. Um, he couldn't afford the full fees, so to help cover his fees, he would be working in the kitchen with the school priests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. As an aside, I really, really had to like not make any jokes in here, cause. Oh, wow. Cause you know history um but in school boy also served as the altar boy and choir member um it was in saint mary's school that boya began to study english and history it was whitewashed but nevertheless he was still learning something mm-hmm. and as he learned he began to consider the career options before him so first he thought about becoming a priest but the more he learned the more he thought and the deeper he thought the clearer it became that the church was just an engine of and for colonialism mm-hmm. in his book freedom and after he recounts a conversation he overheard between two missionaries who both supported racial segregation and believed that african boys should be less educated mm-hmm. um, lest they you know learn how to be independent mm-hmm. and in freedom and, the, and after boyer writes and i quote the church came almost to preach to us in terms of a blueprint of the British social and cultural system, mm-hmm. which they regarded as representing civilization and Christianity. Which he kind of abided to later, but anyways. <laughs> you want to get into that later? Get into it. As in, he, 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 he was the face of the West in, in, in Kenya. Yes. But anyways, yes, he was. I digress. 
Um, put simply, Boy fervently believed that these missionaries did not come to teach us about Christ. Mm -hmm. They came to teach us about whiteness and the UK. And that's, that's true. As a result of teaching us about those mm -hmm. things, that we suck. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Like that's those two lessons they are very came close to each to other. To enlighten when the darkened, dumb, what's the word? Primitive African man. Yeah. So Boya didn't want to do this. He said, Miss me with that shit. And he looked somewhere else for his career. Mm -hmm. As he looked, he finished his primary education. And then in 1945, mm -hmm. he joined Holy Ghost College. I believe he was 15 years old. Mm. Currently, Mangu High School. Mangu. Mangu. That's a big school. Isn't that on Thika Road? Yeah. Hey, no, look at me. Exit Thika Road, but yeah. You're close enough. Another big person who went to Mangu a few Is? years before him. Our second president, our third president. Kibaki, I thought so. Kibaki went to Mangu. I thought so. Other famous alumni include Hillary Bueno, the first editor of the Daily Nation. Not just the first editor of the Daily Nation. Please okay. put some respect on his name. He went to Harvard and studied physics, <laughs> then came to Kenya and decided that he's not doing physics, he's going to be a literature major. He does, he's the first, I think he was the youngest African first editor of the nation. Then he goes and he makes things like makers of a nation, mm -hmm. which actually exposed an, an ignorant country to a speck of history. Because mm -hmm. what had happened is he looked and he's, I'm opinion, in my opinion, I really wish I met the guy before he died, died last year. But in my opinion, he probably looked at people as like, oh my God, these guys know nothing. So all he did was give you a brief of the history. Like now, those of us who love history, watch it and we're like, oh, there's so much missing. Yeah. But what he did was he exposed our minds, our eyes, our brains, our lives to, to Kenyan history. Rest well, Hilary Nguyenno. Other famous alumni of the Mangu school, <laughs> of, of the, of the Mangu school uh -huh. include George Saitoti and Dr. Patrick Njoroge. That is odd, because they are also famous alumni or something else. But we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll so, get there. Um, Boy graduated from the school in 1947. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, he was not able to like continue with his education because mm -hmm. his father could no longer afford the school fees mm -hmm. he needed. Yep. Um, so now Boy needed to figure out how do I maximize what's the, next? Yeah, like what's next? How do I maximize the 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 hand that life has dealt me? Mm -hmm. um, and he thought back to all the years he spent at the at, at um, Holy Ghost's medical office and decided to build upon the skills he learned there. So in 1948, Boya joined the Royal Sanitary Institute School for Sanitary Inspectors yep. in Nairobi. Mm -hmm. At the same time, he also earned a certificate in economics at Efficiency Correspondence College of South Africa. Mm -hmm. While at the Royal Sanitary Institute, Mboya became president of the Students' Council, and as president, he mediated conflicts between students and the administration. Have you always wondered, have you always wondered what it meant to be like going to school via correspondence? I really think like... How long is it, like, you finish an assignment and you send it, like, how long of a wait? So, what's interesting is that I think online learning is kind of like school via, co like, co by Yeah, but it's efficient. But it's, but it's that it's instantaneous email, communication, it's... yeah. You do have a point, because back in the day when all you had were, like, letters and telegrams and maybe yeah. the occasional phone call. What phone call? See, the phone was Very a thing in the 1950s. Very few phone calls phone calls in Kenya. Very few. There were very few. As in, it wouldn't be something that they'd be doing all the time. Okay, true, true. So true. if you're learning by a correspondence, you it's really like sending letters. It's not even that. Like, 
like I send these assignments and then I wait how long for them to be returned or for my grades to be found and assuming that the your assignments aren't lost at sea. Oh my god. And then how do you how do you like how how do you even get think of the whole system of education. <laughs> how do you even get accepted to schools? <laughs> like how do you apply to schools and universities then? How do you do it? Um from one if I remember the the movies it's like big old application packets with everything in like triplicate. Yeah, the internet has really saved hey, us. We've moved, man. We've, we've really come far. Even um, though some of these schools still require us to send them things? documents. Yes, it's annoying. It's very annoying. It's annoying. So in 1950, Mboya qualified as an inspector and joined the Nairobi City Council in 1951. Mm-hmm. He was 21 years old. Can you old. imagine that? Can you imagine I that? I really can't. What was I doing at 21? Sleeping. I was going to class, finishing class, going home and sleeping. I was finishing. I was finishing my degree. Yeah, yeah. You, were, you should have been at city council by then. Uh, I should have had a job. Should have been like, and think after twenty one. Just keep going with the story. He just makes you feel bad. He makes you feel bad about myself. Yeah. <laughs> um. So once he was in the city council, Moya was elected as the secretary of the African Staff Association. At what age? And <laughs> at twenty one. <laughs> okay. Kirithi, don't compare yourself to other people. You're only competing against yourself. Nonsense. That's the truth. <laughs> Nonsense. Okay, I know for a fact you and I have had this discussion before. It's a fact. You're always competing. It's true. It's a really good mindset to hold. Yes. However, if you're seeing a man as great as Tom Boyer or, or Kibaki, if you listen to their stories, and by the time they're 30, these guys... <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, but okay, but listen, and and I know you and I have had this conversation in the past and it's that I feel like it was a lot more it was a lot easier to be brilliant in the past. I think it was it was like harder. a lot easier cuz every it, it was easier. Yeah. Like the path was there. It the, was drawn. But think of it this way. I don't I remember I think it was when we were, I was doing some research on Kibaki and my speaking to my old man mm. and he was like think of it this way. Kibaki was in a group of like how many siblings? Out of all his siblings, it was him and like one other who went yeah. to school. So still, like, what if I'm not that other? Then me, I'm still you're stuck. I'm still herding the cows. And the reason that Kibaki was sent was because he was useless to them. Yes, he couldn't herd cows well and herd ca- and goats well. So you go try this thing that Mzungus are trying, because honestly, <laughs> you're not helping us make make any money. Just go. Okay, so but- still, like. Yes, the ones who made it, made it. Yeah. And it was very simple. Like, the process was easier. But the amount of people who didn't get exposed to it... I think it's, it's very much high risk, high reward, in that in the past, the, it was a lot easier to stand out because nobody had a degree. Nobody mm-hmm. had a master's. Mm-hmm. Whereas right now, everyone has a degree. Yeah. A lot of my friends are getting their master's. Can you imagine? <laughs> and it's like, it just makes it feel a lot harder for us to stand out and be brilliant. Because, like, the educate, But think of it this way. Look at Tomboy's story. Like, you have the ones who did their masters. Yeah. Like, by the... According to how Tomboya worked, we should not have even been thinking about our masters. We should right now be exposing, like, leading the country. We should be, you and We're I. trying to, no. you and I. Because he, he won his first election, as we said, at 27. <laughs> I, I am there. You're, I am at that age. Yes, but you've had a different. You can't compare but his it's also, life. But look at Sahaja. 
look at Kibaki. Like you wanna be brilliant like you do, but you can't. Anyways, you really right can't. It's, it sucks. What is it can't. called? What are they called? No, there's the early bloomer and the late bloomer. We work on the late bloomer. We bloom late. But the late bloom is the huge, most. I was going to say the Mulan. <laughs> it is Mulan, yeah? Yeah, it's Mulan. It's Mulan. Look, this one's late. And I'll bet that when it blooms, it will be the most beautiful of all. Please don't sue me, Daddy Disney. I have no money. Um, okay, thanks. Bye. So. At 21, he was the elected the secretary of the African Staff Association. Yes. And thus began his journey as a national leader. Trade unionist. Yes. Boya and the association went across the country to mobilize other staff associations to create one big national government workers union. Mm -hmm. Naturally, he was met with resistance. Well, I shouldn't say naturally because there's nothing natural naturally. or essential about this resistance. It did not need to happen. It must always happen. And yet it did. And remember, like, we're in the early 1950s. So Kenya is a powder keg. Mm. Right? World War II has just ended. The economy is booming. Um, but, you know, much of this wealth is being accumulated and hoarded by the white settlers, mm. leaving very little for everyone else. Mm. Um, people have gone out there, seen, them, seen that white men are, like, human beings, mm -hmm. seen that they're fighting for freedom, come back home and been like, and me? Yeah. What, what about me? Um, so you then have like the birth of the Kenya Land and Freedom Army or the Mao Mao's. Uh, essentially, like things were very, 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 very tense. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and in essence, Mboya was kind of Mboya had to wade through this tension while doing something that might be misconstrued as an inherently political act, mm -hmm. an act of resistance and rebellion, mm -hmm. which is getting the workers of this country, many of whom are black, to organize and come together against mm -hmm. their bosses, many of whom are white. But imagine in his head, he's like, there is my vehicle. Yes. Yes. That is my vehicle. Especially after national political parties were banned in 1950. Yes. Like, there was a light bulb. Even, even um, his, his first ever rival, mm -hmm. who he quashed quite early, Africa's first lawyer, Kenya's first qualified lawyer, yeah. Arwin Skodek. Yes. Um... He had to change his party's name. It was the Kenya something. Yeah. He had to change it to the Nairobi. Like they had banned national parties and you had to only have tribal ones. But then you had these leaders who are not tribal leaders. Like um, Tom Boyer, August Kodak. They were more based in Nairobi, which was this metropolitan. So, yeah, they... so then they had to call themselves via their province. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, by the 1950s, Mboya had already mobilized enough people to form a new trade union called mm -hmm. the Kenya Local Government Workers Union, mm -hmm. or KLGWU. Mm -hmm. The Klugru, that's what Klugru. I'm going to call, mm -hmm. call it because that acronym is clunky. Yeah. The Klugru, <laughs> that's not fun either. Uh, by the way, it's still active and kicking. Like in 2021, the members of the Kisumu branch of the union threatened to paralyze government operations over alleged intimidation and harassment by a senior county official. I thought it all got absorbed into... Kotu? Into Kotu. Because he's known as the father of Kotu. He is the... And we're going to get into why he founded Kotu because mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's for entirely like craven political reasons. That ended up, yeah, that ended up shooting himself in the foot. Unfortunately. <laughs> but but the, I, to my understanding, it's like Kotu is like the head mm -hmm. and then organizations like Klugru are... They function like underneath yeah. and then they come together. Like, yeah. Okay. That's mm -hmm. what it feels like. Mm. But before we could get down to business with this union, Operation Jock Scott or Scott. Jo yeah, Jock Scott happened. Basically, Mao Mao. Okay, what happened? The, the the what is it called? 
The emergency. Yes, yes. It was, it was like right, the, right at the beginning mm-hmm. of the emergency. Yeah. 180 prominent leaders were arrested. Mm-hmm. British troops were deployed on Kenyan soil, mm-hmm. even though it was not a state of war. Mm-hmm. And African new pa- newspapers were banned. Yep. Um, this all happened before the various factions fighting for Kenyan independence could come together and coordinate their actions. Yeah. So this left the fight for independence fragmented, yeah. Yeah. but not obliterated like mm-hmm. the British had hoped. In fact, a lot of people were like, the fuck you will. And <laughs> this and this spurred them into action. Absolutely. Um, it also, in particular, in particular, incensed Mboya and actually drove him to join the Kenya-African Union before mm-hmm. it was banned. Um, he would participate in KAU activities, and in 1940, and, and you know, when the Klugu was formed in 1953, mm-hmm. Boya became its first national general secretary. Mm-hmm. A general secretary or a gensec leads a union and is responsible for implementing its policy, managing it resources. Gen-sec. General secretary is too many syllables, gensec. That just sounds like. It sounds like something I heard in MUN. <laughs> Let me not lie to gen-sec. you. Yeah, gensec. Gen-sec. You're going to be the gensec. <laughs> Oh, yeah, this, uh, <laughs> this is such a Gen Z. So, for reference, think think of Atoli, mm-hmm. but better. <laughs> Basically, we've had three, three fathers of, of unionism in Kenya. Right? Mm-hmm. You have Tom Mark and Singh as well. Oh yes, you had Mark and Singh, mm-hmm. but that was a different one. He was fighting alongside, if I can remember. I want to get his book. His book looks so interesting. It's just very hard to find. Try online. Mark and Singh. Yeah, I should just Z Library it. is back, by the way. I should steal it. That's what you're saying. Uh, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just making it known that Z Library is back. Whatever you choose to do with that information is between you, the law, and your God. Anyways, Mark and Singh had a very good book. When I was doing some research, very interesting. The work he did. I can't remember most of it. But Mark and Singh, yes, the tomboy. So in the Kenyan, in the context of the African... Kenyan, you have mm-hmm. Tom Boyer, who's mm-hmm. the father. Then you have Lubembe, mm-hmm. who was like the cre- the Kotu guy, the, the guy who came right after Tom Boyer. Okay. And then you have our guy, <laughs> Atoli. It's a, it's a holy trinity. <laughs> so those are the generations of of, of, of um, unionism in Kenya. When you said Atoli, and then, and then, you're, and our, then you have... Our guy. Atoli. <laughs> you know, Atoli makes me so happy. Why? Because to be a unionist, you have to be a bit of a gangster. I think that's a fact. True. Look at the, look at the New York, look at the, the US unions, like the trucks. They were led by the mafia. Oh, construction, yeah. Like, yeah. They were led by the mafia. Yeah, it was not sure. even a... Dis- it was the no, mafia. it was a mafia. Everyone knew this. Um, so you have to be a bit of a gangster to be a unionist. But what makes me so happy about this one, I don't know much about Lubembe, but... Atoli throws away iPhones like they are nothing. That is a rich man. And yet he's the head of a labor union. You, did you watch, have you ever watched him? I have watched like him. Just, he's... He, he gets a call, ah, throws it like, damn, bro. <laughs> Someone should, like, they should make a company that just resells <laughs> Atoli's phones. Like, does he do that at every meeting? Like, hello, ah, throw it. I'm not, I'm done with that and I'll buy a new one, you know? Give me one of those iPhones. Do you think he's being that? Um, do you think he's still being that uh, reckless with his phones, given the current exchange rate? Yes. I. He's a very rich man. Yeah, but I again, as a labor also, union leader, he's also. I think he's Africa's number two. He used to be. I think he's Africa's number two. Number two. What? For like the African con- coordination of labor unions. Oh. Geez. And globally, he was like the secretary. Like he's a big guy. He is huge. Have we been sleeping on Atoli? People have been sleeping on Atoli. Atoli is huge. Just listen to him boast. You listen, you're like, oh listen, God. He is he's, giving me, like, he's giving me divorced dad energy. Oh, 
Now think of divorce <laughs> dad with the wallet of Elon Musk. Yeah. Like exactly like divorce dad. Like he energy. just has so much money. And all those international labor organizations that he's leading or his secretary of, they will pay him in dollars. Okay. So we let, let, let's get back on track because we've been talking Tom, for 15 Josiah, minutes. Or Joseph or Josiah. 15 just, minutes and we've and we've only done three pages. Also? <laughs> of 15. <laughs> and we both know I'm too lazy to actually go through this and like edit out the banter. Oh god. So enjoy enjoy it's taking be like a, a, <laughs> enjoy enjoy taking this raw people <laughs> um pause yes pause yes yeah. anyway where was i okay so after the KU was banned mm-hmm. klugu mm-hmm. became the voice of the people which means that tom boyer was the voice of the people mm-hmm. coaching from charles hornsby and i quote over the next two years boyer won a series of victories for trade yeah. unionism as one of the few remaining voices for Africans, he propelled himself into the national spotlight, resolving a series of industrial protests in a way that promoted both union recognition and wage increases. Mm-hmm. Although he took pride in being a Luo, Boya spoke Gikoyo and Kikamba, denounced mm-hmm. tribalism, and appealed to Kenyans of every ethnic group. Tell me that, tell me that is not a little like our young Sakaja, just say. Okay, so in 1955, to increase Klugu's efficiency, Mboya pushed for a partnership between Klugu and the Kenya Federation of Registered Trade Unions. Is that on Codex? No, it wasn't Codex. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a hack and a fraud, so I didn't, I didn't do any, I didn't do the follow-up research. You that you're a fraud. <laughs> hack and a fraud. Um, so later, this combined marriage labor thing became the kenya federation of labor and once unified boya dominated this union too he was so damn good at his job that even the americans took notice and we're not talking about today's america which resembles a girl who peaked in high school i'm talking about peak americana like that girl in actual high school like how how she was um the cia had just been founded communism was an existential threat and americans were willing to do literally everything Mm. to defeat the red terror including looking to black people whom they genuinely believed were shit and giving them money to prevent the spread of communism yeah 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 i guess cold war (laughs) um and the CIA actually identified Boya as somebody to watch. Yes. The CIA themselves. So by the time he came onto their radar, Boya had already built links with British and African American labor movements, mm-hmm. and his ability to build bridges over class, race, and even nationality made him a person of interest to the CIA. He was a perfect nationalist hero, and he was seen to be safer than Jomo Kenyatta. So the CIA founded the American Federation of Labor, Congress of Industrial Organizations, of, or the AFL-CIO. This was a front that funded the International Confederation of Free Trade Unions, which itself funded Boya and his activities in Kenya. These guys loved long-winded <laughs> acronyms. Damn! <laughs> it's a lot! So the point I'm trying to make here is that Boya got CIA money. Yes. Um, quoting from isolated him out, but they they were not they didn't love him, but they saw him as necessary. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he was getting from the CIA was about a thousand pounds a month mm-hmm. at its peak in like the mid to early sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, this is equivalent to nearly five hundred thousand shillings in today's money every month that Boya was getting from the CIA. Someone give me. <laughs> give me. Do you want it? 
500,000 every month to be to be just on the side of the CIA. Yes. Would Please. you? Yes. Really? Mr. Pan-Africanist yourself? We have agreed on many times on this podcast that this is a podcast of hypocrites. Oh my god. I so have you told you I'm a Pan-Africanist. I have told you I am against capitalism, but when I hear 500,000 shillings, that all goes to the dustbin and the kikuyu comes out. Eh? Besha, please. So you would sell your own people out for a check? Well, am I selling them out? Okay. Who's joining a side? It's the CIA. It's not, it's not the side you want to be on. What's the other side? Not the CIA. <laughs> Tell me which one did not align one side or the other. The leaders were either Marxist and went to the Russia or or Cuba or those countries, mm-hmm. or they were non-aligned and went quietly with Russia, Cuba, or USA, or they were openly with the USA. So you're saying everyone picked a side, just some people were not explicit with the side. One hundred percent. For example, Jomo Kenyatta. We all know he picked a side. Mm-hmm. The West. Mm-hmm. That's why he retained his position quite yeah. well. However, he had Odinga Odinga who'd help him do with Eastern Affairs a little bit. He had Amboya for America, Bruce McKenzie and Charles Jojo for, for Britain. But he had definitely picked a side. But his state, his state was, I am non-aligned. Yet he was a capitalist. Yes. Uh, so everyone has picked a side. No one is, no, okay. no one was, the ones who were probably so, non-aligned and didn't were like Krumah and they were thrown out. So let me let's let's like bring this back to Boya because mm-hmm. we don't know if he knew where he was getting the money from. Mm-hmm. We knew like like in later life he said he had no idea. Mm-hmm. He was he would deny the connection between him and the CIA vociferously, like of very passionately. He's I a mean, political person. Yeah, nobody's ever going to admit. Hey, by the way, I, I I'm friends with a guy that killed Lumumba. Like nobody's going to admit that, no. especially if you're an African freedom fighter. It's too easy of a target on your back. It is, but. His later politics, in terms of like why he would accept this money, mm-hmm. his later politics suggest that he took this money because it was a smart move. Above all, Mboya was a pragmatist. Mm-hmm. He was not, he's not, it's not that he fervently believed in like Americanism or capitalism or what, ha- what have you. He was like, they're giving me money. I need money. I'm fine, I'll take it. Tom Boyer Just, was the ultimate politician. He was conniving. Yes, he Machiavellian. Was very educated very thoughtful about his moves and very precise so when he's making a move as you said he's thinking three four moves in yes. advance he's like how what can these americans expose me to money what does what do i require money to political to further my political career yeah all those things and anyways i don't want to be assassinated like like pio gamma pinto later or like malcolm x by the cia i don't want them to kill me oh wait i still got killed <laughs> So beyond this, and before we get to his murder, mm-hmm. the 19, before, I mean beyond like his whole trade unionism, mm-hmm. getting money from the CIA, all that fun stuff, the 1950s were equally a busy, busy time for our boy TJ. In 1955, he was awarded a scholarship to Ruskin College in Oxford. Mm-hmm. At Oxford, he kind of left with an appreciation of socialism, mm-hmm. or more accurately, social democracy, or the idea that we need to create an enabling economy mm-hmm. that spurs rapid economic growth and then reinvest the wealth we get into our people mm-hmm. as opposed to like into businesses and perpetuating that growth. Okay. Um, he also left Oxford with a profound and engaging ability to articulate the ills of colonialism mm-hmm. and British imperialism. Mm-hmm. Put simply, man them left ready to fuck shit 
up. Mm. The knowledge he gained would only highlight his organizational capacities and the vision for the country that he had. More importantly for world history, yes, world history, Boya was left with an appreciation of the necessity of education, mm -hmm. especially as a tool of independence. Mm. From Boya, the call for independence was not a call to reject everything associated with colonialism. Mm -hmm. In Challenges of Nationhood, he writes, and I quote, there is the recent past of colonial rule, littered with memories of colonial suppression, but also with modern scientific methods of production education. We want, and soon we want to harness fully the advantages of this colonial past and use it as an instrument of contact with the rest of the world, end quote. Education from Boya was the only way to take the shittiness that we got from colonialism and turn it into something worthwhile. Mm. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, you'd end up having a lot of... <laughs> consultants and foreign people coming to the country to come do that work yeah and that's how oh, neocolonialism begins that's how it happens it's what's happening right now mm -hmm. um but this understanding of the role of education really inspired him to create the kennedy airlift program mm. so between 1959 and 1963 over a thousand african students went to the u.s to study a lot of these guys were kenyans mm -hmm. and this program began after Mboya went uh, to the states on a speaking tour mm -hmm. there he met mlk you know martin luther king yeah um and african-american entertainers like henry harry belafonte and sydney portier those were the the celebrities sort of in the forefront of like civil rights movements yes sydney portier a little less i I'm just remembering from a movie I watched where the, the like extremists hated. Guess who's coming for dinner? No, no, it's, it's, I think it was called The Butler. Uh oh, uh, wait. It's an it's a fiction. The one they with hated Sidney Poitier. The one with what's his face? Horace uh, Whitaker. Yes. Yes. Very good movie. Yes. Um, Sidney Poitier, Harry Belafonte. There are people you always saw hand in hand with um, Martin Luther King. Yeah. Singing their songs. Very nice. Mm -hmm. And Boya was their friend, and he and they were Boya's friends and allies in this noble cause. Mm -hmm. um, in an in an in an ugh, in a letter dated eighth November nineteen fifty nine, and in he was writing to the New York Times. Boya explained, and I quote. Nothing constitutes a greater contribution to the struggle against poverty, disease, and political subjection in Africa more than the contribution made toward our people's educational advancement. Mm. So he created this program. Um, yeah, and he even got JFK to donate $100,000 mm -hmm. to the cost of airfare. Oof. Do you want to guess how much that, how much that is in 2023 money? Two million. A million dollars. Oh, God. 133 million mm. shillings that JFK just straight up gave to this program yeah yeah dollars. How, boya was not alone though he wasn't he was alone with, he was with um kiano he was, yeah he wasn't alone like he partnered with kiano he, he was, he was together he was it, it was it wasn't him alone but he's most associated, he's associated with, with it. it it's like but he was working directly with kiano if i can remember yeah so um, the program only guaranteed one a one-way ticket to the u.s <laughs> you would have to find your own school fees mm -hmm. your own living and maintenance costs and also your own way back home. Oof, okay. Yeah. Um, and yet all of the students were able to get scholarships and figure shit out. They all did it. But listen to the people he's got there. I'm, I'm getting to it. I'm getting okay, to it. Okay, I'm getting okay, to it. We'll go with your list. So, and 95% of those who went mm -hmm. would come back home mm -hmm. and then shape Kenyan society for decades. Absolutely. And as an aside, like that's not happening anymore. Like anyone, is, anyone that has a chance to leave, especially for education, mm -hmm. they're not thinking about coming back. Many of them are. At least, yeah. Are they, is, is that but changing? they're coming back as capitalists. 
before it was like coming back to to impact my country and you know grow my country i think that motivation to do so was overtaken by the motivation to make money of course but i think that's changing a lot of a lot of young people a lot of millennials want to make an impact in the in the kenyan environment they're just stuck as to how to start but they've come back like many of them have come back they've taken 50% um cuts to their salaries because let me not lie to you what you're being paid there in america <laughs> You know, here in Kenya, 200K is a great salary. It's a wonderful salary. It's a good salary. Mm. In America, that it's is nothing. virtually poverty. It, 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 not virtually, I think it is. It's $2,000, basically. It's mm. less than $2,000. It's less than, but it's not great. 2000 is not enough. If you think about like LA or New York, yeah, like, the rent alone for someone is like $1,400. Yeah. So 2000 is not a livable wage, not. necessarily. But in Kenya? In Kenya, that's excellent. You are yes. a middle to middle upper class. Yes. Very so some of the beneficiaries of this airlift program include, of course, Barack Obama Sr. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have Wangari Madhai, mm-hmm. George Saitoti, I think. Yes, Wangari Madhai. Um, that is so. Yeah. Barack Obama Sr. Yes. I think he became a, a, a PS. He became. Oh. He, he was also like a like an economic advisor to an the economic government. Advisor, yeah. Very big guy to yeah. the government. Wangari Madhai, our hero. Continue. I'm just going to see if I know. Okay. Dr. Ngendo Mwangi, Kenya's first female physician. Sure. Professor Miriam Wari, an AIDS researcher. I see researcher. where you're going with most of your... St- <laughs> <laughs> I see a problem here. Okay, how is it a problem that I'm choosing to spotlight women? No, no, Why is it a problem? It's not a problem. Why is it a problem? I was so ready with my, like, I have my list of names. I was okay, like, fine, okay, I'm going to check together. Okay, fine, you know what, fine. And then you're like, what is, ooh, ooh. Okay, what is on your list of names? Because I'm curious. I had, like, George Saitoti. Elijah Mwangale, Josephat Karanja, who was the first ever, not first ever, who was a vice president for like the shortest time, um, Zachary Onyonka, mm-hmm. I had James Kamovo, I had Wangari Madhai, I had Hilary Nweno, and I had Jonathan Ngeno. So you literally had like the one woman, and yeah, for me, that is the one person. I had the three. <laughs> you had all three. Like, I had all oh! three women. <laughs> I mean, it's fantastic because damn, but. You know, I'm so ready with you because like, these are more popular people. No, because like, I was focusing on the women because like they rarely get spotlighted. It's very nice. Like she was Africa's first, first female physician. No, Kenya's first female physician. This has to be your clip, I think. This one here, yeah. woman power. <laughs> just like the different, the difference in, in and how and the way we think about history. Not even that. Just, just name the women. As in Ngendo. Yeah, um, Ngendo Mwangi, Professor Miriam Were, mm-hmm. and Wangari Madai. Those are the three you named. Mm-hmm. And then you, then you think, you said, I think, Saitoti. I used to, <laughs> I think, okay, so, Barack okay, Obama Senior. So, the, the reason, the reason Saitoti confuses me mm-hmm. is because I remember him as being quite young looking. Mm. Yet, when I think, yet when you hear that this man went to college in the 60s, yeah. it does not compute with the image saved in my mind. He was literally that generation. He would have been maybe slightly older than Raila, yeah. I think. Like born late nineteen thirties or early nineteen forties. Okay, so let's so get that generation right after the independence co- uh, generation. So let's get back into it. Yes, ma'am. All right. So, um, as Moy was doing the Kennedy airlift thing, Odinga was also like, uh, let's also let's educate people, but with the east. Um, and to hear him say it, he just wanted to prove, rather Odinga just wanted to prove 
that the communists were not the devils that the US and the UK were painting them out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, furthermore, he was also a bit sus with the kind of development agenda that these airlift graduates would imbibe and then apply into the country. Mm-hmm. So he was also trying to foster a sense of like intellectual variety in this new Kenya to give us the best possible shot. And Tomboy was his rival. Yeah, and Tomboy. I mean, there's, there's also that one. There's also like that, that very petty reason of like, oh, your enemy's doing something. Okay, I'm going to do it too. Ten times better. Keep people. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so as you're right, like Mboya and Odinga were often contrasted against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because like Odinga was seen as the true Luo leader. He was the Luo leader. While Mboya, because of his background and his affiliation with the Kikuyu community, was just not. Mm-hmm. A newspaper article from the era even goes as far to condemn Mboya for not being Luo enough. Mm. Um, and he mm. was expected to fall in line with Odinga and like every time he didn't everyone was like dude what the Actually, fuck <laughs> he did suffer from that it's very interesting though if you I don't know if you were going to go to it but the African elected members organization mm-hmm. um, that was like we had LegCo yeah so LegCo now when you vote we were given I think eight slots yes for Africans yes we had two lures in those slots yes Boya beat his first rival, Albert Quebec, for the Nairobi councillor position. Looking at your tea very suspectively. I felt like I saw something fall inside the cup. I'm not really trying to drink bugs or just mosquitoes. It's, it's very healthy. Sorry, continue. I interrupt. So, <laughs> so you have the African elected members organization. You, then you have Tom Boyer as the Nairobi representative. Mm-hmm. He was secretary of the African uh, IMO. Yeah. And who was chairman? It was Oginga Odinga. Yes. So it was a very interesting thing where they had to clash because both of them had the ambition of becoming the next president after Kenyatta. They knew they couldn't be one. They both felt they could be two. Yeah. Um, so they yeah. look at the situation and they were meant to clash. Um, Boya would have had to need to tap into the Luo community to he, get votes. He would have. Um, and, and we'll get into this later. Mm-hmm. He didn't. He wasn't able to. Mm-hmm. Not consistently. Yeah. Um, or at least not when it mattered. Mm-hmm. But in this very beginning of his national political career, in which he's moving away from being a trade unionist first into just explicitly being a politician 24-7, mm-hmm. um, you start to also realize that like his tendency to say that the ends justified the means mm-hmm. is consistently going to bite him in the ass. Mm. Um, like, but rather interestingly, um, the competition between Odinga and Boya is, might have been the reason why Odinga was so insistent that it was Kenyatta or nothing, mm-hmm. right? Because funnily enough, the rest of the Western world preferred Boya as Kenya's first president. Wasn't Boya or Odinga? It was Boya. Because they approached Odinga. They approached Odinga, but like Odinga also had like too many communisty tendencies mm-hmm. that they were suspicious of him. Yes. So it was it was very like unsettling. So Boya was the choice. Boya was Odinga the choice. Odinga was the one who was offered. Yeah, apparently, apparently, um, it's no, no, apparently in side chats, um, Ian, colonial secretary Ian McLeod pulled Boya and James Gishuru aside mm-hmm. and asked the two of them to form a government without Kenyatta. Yes, I remember him. I remember that the story of how many of them, and I think Odinga was approached the same were approached to to let the government be created while yeah. Kenyatta was in prison. prison. And they all said? They said no. They all said no. And you have to wonder if like, Odinga did that out of the goodness of his heart. Because like, if you're all working together and building a 
case for one guy, it mm-hmm. unifies the country mm-hmm. in pursuit of a very common and very single goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have to wonder if he just was really petty and was like, nah, I don't want my rival to be the first president. It's me mm-hmm. and then him. But if it's not going to be me, possible. it's Kenyatta. It's very possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's where Boye kind of fucked up. Because mm-hmm. you know when you have like these side chats that you don't really want anyone to find out about and you're mm-hmm. supposed to keep them secret? Kenyatta fi- found out the British government had approached Boya to be the first president. But you always find out, I think. Yeah. You always find out. You always find out, but that doesn't mean, like, you could have tried harder to hide it. I don't know. IDK. I guess I really, so. I really don't know. Um, but one last note about Boya's connection to the US. Did you know that he brought Thurgood Marshall to Kenya yeah. to help us with our constitution? The constitution, yeah. Uh, he did that without telling anyone. He just Ooh. kind of invited Thurgood Marshall. Then Marshall got here. Mm-hmm. And everyone was asking him, what who you brought mean? you here? And like, Boya did. Mm-hmm. Who's paying for you? And Boya said everyone would handle it. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, Boya, hey. we did not send you there to do this. What the hell? And it's this tendency to like, believe that the ends are going to justify the means consistently. Mm-hmm. That it only helps Boya feel like I'm constant, like whatever I'm doing is right. But it also alienates him mm-hmm. from the group that's supposed to have his back. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's going to come and bite him in the ass. Mm-hmm. But they Thurgood t- Marshall. Thurgood and Marshall. Yeah, Boya was a big guy in the constitutional process. I think he was also sent to Lancaster. Mm, he was. With uh, Kinam. Um, he was. What's that guy called? M- Muliro. Mm. So, it's 1963. Kenya's independent, and Boya has been called upon to serve his country. It's unclear if he was called because he was competent, or because he was well-connected, or because he was a threat. Or, all because, of the above. or because America said, <laughs> or because America insisted, Weka. yeah, just like the, the British were like, give us our one, give us just just the one, give us Bruce, then uh, then we'll take nine pieces. True, but nineteen pieces, something like that. But 15. already by nineteen sixty three, Moya was a political threat to everyone, everyone. in any room that he Absolutely. was in, and everyone knew it. Everyone knew that Moya was going to be the next president. He was he was he was a man who was beloved by the people. Mm-hmm by all the people, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you are rich, poor, Kikuyu, Kamba, Swahili, doesn't matter, you love this man. Mm-hmm. He represented their interest during the colonial era and was their voice during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, the international community loved him. Mm-hmm. He was able to get them to give money to the country. This mm-hmm. man was basically set up for the presidency. I think, as you said, it's a complete contrast to the previous one we did of, of uh, JM Karaoke. Where the questions arose as to yes, GM karaoke star was rising, but he was never on the path to become the president. No. While Tom Boyer was from all step that one, twenty one when he was voted to be the head of that African, he was on track yeah. to become the second president of Kenya, and it was it was so clear as day because you have Jomo Kenyatta, the old guard, the man, the Kikuyu who represents the big popular part of the population, yeah. who's going to transition it to this young. American Western supported Luo. So it, it fit a lot of, it connected a lot of dots that he'd be the next. Yes. Um, but of course, a few people were not seeing that situation <laughs> like uh, very good. Uh, group one, Kenyatta's men. Group two, Odinga's men. Group three, Moi. So in the 1960s, Kenyatta was careful to keep his suspicions about Mboya to himself, Mm -hmm. but he still voiced them to individuals who he trusted. Mm -hmm. Um, He intended to use, and I quote, like this is according to an American diplomat who Mm -hmm. was telling the story. He said that Kenyatta intended to use check and balance tactics to maintain his own power Mm -hmm. with regard to Tom Boya, as opposed to just 
cutting the head off and moving on. Mm. With Mboye, it was going to be more of a, let's wait and see. Yeah. Um, and Mboye was quickly appointed as cabinet minister with some very high-profile dockets. Mm-hmm. As minister for constitutional affairs, he was a fantastic soldier. He led the amendment of the constitution to increase Jomo's power. As a minister of labor, he created Kotu, or the Central Organization of Trade Unions. Mm-hmm. And this is the umbrella organization for all trade unions in Kenya. That we still see today. That we still see today. Mm-hmm. Um, rather ironically, this organization was created to stop and limit mm-hmm. trade union and power after independence. Because they had become a bit too big, and Kenyatta was like, no, this is mm-hmm. going to be a problem. Because mm-hmm. the workers need to, we need to be able to control the workers. They need an avenue, but they can't be able to usurp us. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when, and what really sucks, but it also makes sense because he's a politician, is that when he was on the outside looking in, Mboya was all for trade unions getting political. But now that he's on the inside looking out, he fucking hates it. Mm. And he's going to do everything in his power mm-hmm. to stop it. Yeah. Um, so when general strikes and go slows threatened Kenya's economic progress, mm-hmm. Boya dealt a tough hand for the working class. Mm-hmm. A quoting mm-hmm. now from Daniel Branch in his book, Between Hope and Despair. Okay. He says, and I quote, Kenyatta and Boya therefore set about nullifying the political power of the trade unions as part of their wider assault on the politics of redistribution. Mm-hmm. As fears of a general strike gathered paste in August 1965, plans for a consolidated umbrella organization for the unions finally took shape. The following month, the state-organized KOTU was established. Mm-hmm. The organization combined existing labor groups, increased state control of union activity, and prevented the labor movement from becoming a vehicle for the radical political faction, mm. a, a.k.a. Odinga. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. That, mm-hmm. like, that's why they did this. They're joint enemy. Yes. Um, but by neutering the trade unions, Boya shot himself in the foot because that was his base. Mm-hmm. That was part of the reason why he was a threat. So mm-hmm. in as much as he wanted to curb the power of trade unions, which in so doing would have curbed Odinga's power and influence, mm-hmm. he also did it at his own expense. Mm. Um, which would come to Biden in the ass. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, yeesh, it is 1965. Right now, it's not too bad. Like, he still has international support. He still has his charisma. He's young. He's mm-hmm. hot. He's still the shit. It, it, everything is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was then appointed to be the economic planning minister. Mm-hmm. Tell us what he did as economic planning minister, Kerry Sessional paper number 10 yes. of 1965. With the work, with his partner, and Mangu individual. Mwaikibaki. Amen. Sessional paper number 10 on African socialism and its application to Kenya is the economic blueprint for this country. Mm-hmm. Don't, Vision 2030 is just a just dumb version of that. All, all it, our that's visions, what it is. <laughs> all our work have all come back to sessional paper number 10 of 1965. 65. So this policy document outlined post-colonial Kenya's path to economic development arguing that you should grow first and then redistribute later. Mm-hmm. Um, he also drafted the Treaty on East African Cooperation in 1967. Mm-hmm. And as he was doing more policy work, he also proved himself to be a valuable political operator. Yes. He was instrumental in isolating and eventually excising Odinga from the vice presidency. Through the little general election of 1966, when he held a Kanu election, and I think it was that time where they created eight regional yep. vice presidents yep. um, basically to completely disarm any remnant 
of Odinga's power in yes, Kanu. That was him. And that was everything. Because even like there was something I wanted to say before you, I, I just let you go because you know, you. when you go, you go. Thank you. Um, before when he like he was so, I feel he was so close to Kenyatta in this whole process because of the Odinga situation. To them, both of them, Odinga was the problem. And so Mboya even, he introduced a motion of confidence in the president. Yes. And his government. And it was in, this is according to Hornsby, in parliament that also condemned dissident and confused socialist groups. So it's the same thing you said. He plays these games very tightly. So he was sacrificing. My whole point was he was sacrificing his labor unions and yes. all this because his next big step was to try and consolidate Odinga's base. Yeah. How do you do that? By getting Odinga out. Uh, he didn't succeed, but he tried. He tried. He really did. Mm. Um, these were the good years. Mm-hmm. Everything was great. Money was flowing. Mm-hmm. The bottles were popping. The booties were shaking. Um, and Boyer's brilliance <laughs> for politics made him a big man in Kanu. Unfortunately, mm. despite all his good works, he was not fully trusted. No. They trusted him to get the work, the, the job done. Mm. But they didn't actually trust him to be part of that inner circle. No, you don't have to, you never trust someone with that ambition. <laughs> but unfortunately, his competence mm-hmm. also made it, uh, increased his threat level to the government. Mm-hmm. Um, according to, a, to the final report from the Truth and Justice Reconciliation Commission, and I quote, Mboya posed a challenge to the existing government and its supporters at mm-hmm. three levels. First, his following in trade unions and his childhood in a sisal estate on the borders of Machakos and Kiambu enabled him to converse colloquially in Gikuyu and Kikamba as well as in Swahili and Duluo languages. Mm-hmm. It meant that he was able to secure support from outside his own ethnically restricted sub-nationality, aka mm-hmm. tribe. More than any other politician, Boya had a Kenya-wide following and national appeal. Secondly, rather the second you know thing that uh, made him a threat to the Kenyan government was that his international reputation and his close relationship with the American labor organizations the third thing that made him a threat I don't know because that's I, I cut off I cut off the quote you see you see mm-hmm. why editing a document really wow. helps <laughs> sometimes you know not doing things live is is, is ooh. Well, but there it's was okay. there was Kanu A and there was Kanu B. We're actually getting there. Oh, please! I'm going there. ahead. I'm we're getting there. We're getting he's there. He's such an interesting. Before his assassination, he was so interesting. He he he, he got so much done. He got so much done, but also Ooh. he was just a political genius. Oper- and Machiavelli. That guy, he made Machiavelli. Moves. And and by being that's that's I think that's why I really connected him to to to. Sakaja. Um. Yes, and please don't make that the TikTok. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's already in my notes don't here. Don't do it. I don't need something that's going to blow up. Maybe, maybe, maybe we can tag him. Don't get me attacked. Don't no, not attacked. Man, you can get a job out of this. Hey, you never hey, know. Hey. You never will back yourself. Anyways, my point was that um, it was the nationalist part. Like, he really was trying to be... Every Kenyan has sort of dreamt about this non-politically, non-tribal um, leader that will become the president of Kenya. Yes. Never has it ever happened. It's interesting how the two people, the, everyone that's gotten close, wind up dead. Wound up dead. It's just dumb. Tom, Jem Karuki. Don't count JM. George Saitoti. Could have, but Saitoti he was. Saitoti was. That, that, that is other thing. Saitoti was just. Saitoti was a scary person to many people. And many, it's because he believed, they believed he had the money. He didn't have the populism. No, but he, he had the money that could have gotten him to the presidency. Um, but Tom Boyer. Had he become the president, 
maybe we'll be talking about a much less ethnic country today. I don't know if it would have happened, but I because I think for him to be, have become president, he would have he would had have to become more yeah. Um But that's what he was trying to be. He was trying to be that leader who I have a touch. I can, no, I'm thinking of Ruto times 10. Like I can come to your Kikuyu land mm-hmm. and sing a Kikuyu hymn with you. Mm-hmm. That's what Ruto would do. Then go to your my Luo homeland and speak completely in the Luo. Then go to the Ukambani, another big base, and speak completely in, in Kamba. Their language, yeah. And then speak fluent Kiswahili, and then look like a real leader abroad. Like, wow, everyone all... like he's he's the one we look up to. But he just ended sounds, up being a martyr. It sounds like you have a bit of a crush on our and our boy TJ. I don't know. He's not my political hero from the night, from the Kenyan history. Who is it? I don't know actually. Interesting. They're all like like tit pieces of. From people, I really like Mark Hansing, like I like I told you, mm-hmm. mainly because he was not Kenyan, but he really came with that. Ooh. Uh. Um, uh, I find many of them very interesting. Mwai Kibaki is, of course, big player. Kenneth Matiba, of course, G.K. Karevi, please. Your namesake, man, that's my hero, um, and others. There are many, but why? As you, people call me someone who sometimes leans with, with the state, and. So sometimes I'm not always for these ideas that the state murdered all these people. You convinced me with JM. JM was not was a for shit JM. Show. You convinced yeah, me. Yeah, JM was a shit show. Because he, he never, to me, sounded big enough to kill. And then? And then stupidity ran through. As I, remember the story you read from me. Clearly it was stupidity that came through. Yeah. It was ego that was hit. Yes. It was not about his ambition. Mm-hmm. Tom Boyer, they're just... I don't necessarily believe we know the full story. And I don't think we ever will. I don't because think we ever will. Because we all have been told to look at one party. We've been told to look at Jomo Kenyatta and his cronies. Yes. But um, something our boss would always teach us is the Xbox. question of... Uh, yeah, our Xbox. Whew. Not Xbox. Xbox. <laughs> Xbox. Um, would always say the, 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 the Latin phrase, qui bono. And you ask yourself when you ask yourself that question, you realize it's not one party that was you, that you count in this. You have to break it up into three. You break it up into Jomo Kenyatta and his cronies. Mm-hmm. That's group one. Group two is Jaramogi Odinga, and his threat. He's just been thrown out of government. Tomboya is doing everything to usurp me. Just that, that's question. And point number three is the giraffe that sees very far. Moi. Daniel Toro teach Arab Moi. Because if you, the Kanu A and Kanu, when you get there, we'll get there. Okay, so, it's a, that, what a wonderful segue. So, to understand the split between Kanu and Kanu, you need to remember that Kenyatta is a very, very, very old man. <laughs> From like 1965, they were like, this guy is dying. They all, kind, they all knew this man is about to die. So, and they were it's aligning. A, it's a question of, how do I make sure I am good when he dies? Imagine he lasted 15 years. <laughs> I can't. Everyone I was really, like, he's dying now. Everyone was holding his breath. He suffered several strokes. To be honest, huh? I'm surprised he fathered children. Let's just leave it at that. Men are blessed. <laughs> No, we're not gonna get into this. I I lack the knowledge to actually get Men into this properly. Blessed. Is is it blessed though? It's Can you blessed. imagine being eighty and then all of a sudden like being like Jay in Modern Family? You're retiring. I'm rich. And then all of a sudden you have a kid. Your fathering is more like being a grandfather. I honestly think that was more his fathering style. Hey. Like his kids are brought to him once a day. He talks to them. 
they go do their own thing. It's Mama Gina who is now the one who's really mothering and doing the 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 work. You can't do the legwork at eighty. <laughs> so, the legwork you're doing there. So in the late sixties, Kenyatta, because of his age and mm-hmm. other health issues, um, suffered many strokes. Several. Several. Over several years. It was bad. Like it broke Kanu in half with two parties or mm-hmm. factions forming around the question of his succession. Yes. You have Kanu A, which was the Kiambu elite, and mm-hmm. these guys were backing Mori. Mm-hmm. Then you have Kanu B, which was made up of Boya and all the ethnic other ethnic minorities, and they were backing Boya. Boya. Um, now, after Kenyatta's stroke, <laughs> Jonjo and Moy moved to prevent Boya from ascending to the presidency. Yep. And Jonjo proposed a constitutional amendment that mm-hmm. raised the minimum age of presidential candidates mm-hmm. from 35 to 40. Do you want to guess how old Mboya was? 37. He was 39. Yeah. <laughs> they were literally like, nah, not you. So you did that in 69? I, I, was... So if it was 39, that was 69. That's yes. the year Boya died. No. Okay, yeah, I was 37 then. It was 37. It was okay. 37. Okay. Okay, we have made an executive decision that was mm-hmm. made off mic because mm-hmm. I got plans. I'm a busy bitch. <laughs> Why am I not allowed to say that face to you? Ah, uh, because, you know, man, the patriarchy, the demonization oh, of the word bitch. Oh, oh, it's called reclaiming uh, my power. I'm it's telling a- you, the word, word that every man is tired of hearing. <laughs> Is the phrase the patriarchy? But it's the truth. Oh. The patriarchy is everywhere. Like honestly, on a good day, a woman can make the patriarchy work for her. On a good day, and that's like when you pretend to be all helpless because you really don't want to change your car tire yourself. Not, I'm really not gonna get into this fight, <laughs> but I invite Chris M. No. And others <laughs> to represent the male population. And fight this, because I, I am someone who has really tried to abide with, with, with my ladies in this struggle. However, let me tell you, okay. the phrase, the patriarchy, but gets the, me so frustrated. But the patriarchy oppresses you too. No. It does. That's what toxic masculinity is. The about. world oppresses me. The world is nonsense. And that is my opinion. All human beings are terrible. But anyways, you had said you want to speed through this thing. I, you have somewhere to go. Okay. You're a BB. I'm a busy bitch. Um, and so we've made the executive decision off mic that we're going to cut it off here. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to come back and we're going to speed through the assassination. Because mm-hmm. let, let's be honest, a majority of this episode is just us doing banter. <laughs> when you come and visit me, you know uh, you're just coming for the banter. So, wait, I mean, this is, this, is, this is why we love having you on, Karabikins. Thank you. It makes me blush. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for coming. We're going to pretend that we're going to go, mm-hmm. but really we're just going to sit here and wait for a bit. So thank you so much for coming. I really uh, appreciate it. As an desada, I am so proud and happy to have been here. Oh my God. Okay, bye. <laughs>for listening to the Utojo Hujui podcast. I really appreciate you giving me your time of day. I know that your time is very valuable. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at utajuahujui.pod. That is at U-T-A-J-U-A-H-U-J-U-I dot P-O-D on Instagram. Please don't forget to like, share, review, do all the nice things. I could really use the boost. Okay, enjoy the rest of your time on this planet. Goodbye.